Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. The podcast you are about to hear was recorded in 2010. Welcome to Seattle Biblio Cafe, Episode 5. There are three of us here today from the Seattle Public Library. We're all librarians who love to read, and today we're going to talk about some books we've read recently and enjoyed. My name's Linda, and here with me today are David and Jen. And David, why don't you go first? Okay, excellent. So I want to talk about a book that I'm a little worried will get passed over. Uh, it's called um, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. That's a great title. It is a great title. And the author's name is Charles Yu. And what worries me about the book, as far as it finding a reading public, is the science fictional part. Because... I think a lot of readers really kind of are freaked out by the idea and just don't want to read science fiction. I share that same bias, you know, I'm not really into it. And they will really miss a wonderful book. Um, this is the story of a time machine repairman um, named Charles Yu. So there's sort of shades of Paul Auster there. Yeah, there's a bit of a metafictional thing going on. Um, who basically spends his time rescuing people who, who have messed up their time machines. And so where he winds up going, people, people have time machines and you'd think, you know, they have all of time to visit. They could go, you know, look at dinosaurs or see the future or walk with Christ or whatever, right? But they, everybody goes to the same place, which is the worst moment in their own lives. That's just human nature to want to go back and change that, but you can't change that. And so he that he winds up seeing a lot of people sort of at the worst moment in their lives and helping them repair their machines. And the rest of the time he spends basically in in idle, uh, sort of time idle. There's a detail there's he's got a piece of software named Phil who doesn't understand that he's not human. And so he's always trying to like, hey, let's go for beers and stuff. And, it's, and it doesn't. And there's a really great scene um, in which the protect Charles Yu tells him, you know, basically confronts him and tells him he's not human. That's really, it's like worthy of the office. You know, it just feels like this really awkward kind of moment. His mother is living in a prepaid time loop. Um, that's like 60 minutes long and she's chosen uh, a hypothetical Sunday dinner and that's where she lives in this little time loop they would have liked to have been able to afford like a 90 minute time loop with like a better illusion of free will but that was beyond their means and he goes back and visits her and she's in the Sunday dinner and it's just so I mean it's very moving because it's immediately recognizable as a very human situation and his situation gets much more complicated when a little ways through the book he, um, he's on one of his uh, jobs and he sees himself. And there's sort of a rule about that, which is if you see yourself coming towards yourself, run as fast as possible in the other direction. Well, suffice it to say he does not obey that rule and he does just about the worst possible thing you could do. And, and the rest of the book then kind of dot, 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 yeah. It's a really, really um, beautiful, warm um, moving books, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. 
How about you, Jen? I just finished reading Mr. Peanut by Adam Ross. I'm so excited to finally read this book. Yeah, yeah. I'd heard about it. I read a bunch of reviews when it came out. And I sat next to a person on the plane. A lady was reading on the plane a few weeks ago. And I was just, you know, doing that thing where I'm trying not to read over her shoulder, but I was a little bit. Um, So this is a mystery. And I've not read a lot of mysteries before. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, How to even set it up? Basically, it starts out with uh, a couple named David and Alice Pepin. Alice is deathly allergic to peanuts. And it starts with her dying from asphyxiation from epileptic anaphylactic shock. Oh, okay. She has just eaten a peanut sitting at her table, her kitchen table, with her husband about 10 feet away watching her. So why did she eat the peanut? Did she eat the pe- Did he make her eat the peanut? So in come the detectives. And so far it's kind of making sense. It's, you know, it's weird. There's some pictures, some Polaroids of her really heavy, like 300, 400-pound woman. But the Alice Pepin you see is very slim and very attractive. You know, she's all purple and her face is bloated, but she was a beautiful woman. Um, so you start looking into the detectives' lives, and one of them is named Sam Shepard. I'm thinking, that sounds like a film. Isn't that the name of the, the fugitive guy? Yeah. The doctor that killed his wife, but no, this is, this is set now. This can't be that. And then there's another detective whose wife um, goes into such a depression that she doesn't get out of bed for six months. And he tries to think of all these inventive ways to get her out of bed. And soon these three parallels are set up of these very depressed or very um, emotionally unstable wives and these husbands who are trying to kind of usher them into reality or back into the relationships. And this book was beautiful. It was um, very surreal. It was like a love story to surrealism. There were all these waves of repetition where I wasn't even sure what couple I was with sometimes. And I would wonder if these were the same people that maybe had different realities going on. A um, big chunk of the book reminded me a lot of Mad Men and the relationships oh, in the time period. Because you go into Sam Shepard, the character, I guess, the character Sam Shepard's life, um, and his wife Marilyn, um, up to her bludgeoning death, which was very dramatic. And it's a real life thing that happened in the 50s. Um, and there's a lot of M.C. Escher in here. Um, David Pepin is a video game designer who does very elaborate um, puzzle games and logic games. And so he's a collector of M.C. Escher, and there's a character named Mobius in here that is a, um, a midget assassin. Um, it's a very, Not very... Not typical mystery. No. I mean, I hate to even call it a mystery. It is because there's crimes to solve and murders, multiple murders. Is it in the mystery section? Um, no, it's fiction. Ah. It's fiction. Um, and there's just some beautiful, beautiful passages in there. There's the whole space of um, Sam Shepard and his wife and their kids in the 50s. It's very Don Draper-ish. Um, and then there's some beautiful, beautiful scenes between... Um, David and his wife Alice, you kind of go back and figure out their past and, and why she was so large and why she's so small now. Um, but there's a, a lot that's also left unsaid. And um, I hate reading reviews before I read a book, I always go after. Yeah. And I read a bunch of reviews that talked about um, a puzzle, the possibility of a puzzle, and then figuring it out after the, after the fact you can go and, and kind of figure out what happened, I guess, mm-hmm. based on how large Alice was at different times and, and kind of what people were doing. Um, so I'm actually excited to maybe read this again. There's also a lot of Hitchcock in it. Um, the Alice and David meet in a Hitchcock class in college, so there's tons of Hitchcock references. If you're a Hitchcock buff, um, definitely would enjoy this. 
a publisher said it was a police procedural of the soul, which I thought was oh, that's great. Wonderful. Ever. Yeah, it was Mr. Peanut. Mr. Peanut by Adam Ross. It's his first book. Uh, highly anticipated. Hope he writes some more. Excellent. Well, I want to talk about a book that I wish was fiction, but it's nonfiction, and it's Zaytun by Dave Eggers. Zaytun is spelled Z-E-I-T-O-U-N, and it is um, a man's name in real life, Abdul Rahman Zaytun, but everyone calls him just by his last name, Zaytun. It's uh, his story in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, and the book starts with they know the hurricane is coming, and Zaytun's wife and children leave town but he decides to stay behind to see if he can help and there's some scenes right after the hurricane and when the water starts rising that are beautiful and Jen Jen read this too he um, the water rises up to the rooftops and he's canoeing around New Orleans and it just sounds peaceful and beautiful the water's still clean at that point and then of course things get much murkier and uglier But for several days, he is a lifeline to people in his canoe. He's delivering water to people. He's feeding dogs that have gone up to the attics of houses. So he's doing all this life-saving on the top floors of houses in New Orleans. And then he's arrested. And he's uh, arrested with some other people on suspicion of looting. And the rest of the book is so atrocious. What happened to him and other people in New Orleans, they, they built pri- um, jails uh, before they thought of safety for people who had nowhere to go. And it's just, it just makes you so angry. Um, it's definitely Zaytun's story. Dave Eggers, I think... I like Eggers more with his nonfiction than his fiction, and he shows tremendous restraint here. Um, and I've been talking about this book a lot lately because I want people to read it, but also I think it's, it's a really accessible book for someone who thinks they don't read a lot of nonfiction, and it's a great book for teens. It was published for adults, but there, there's a lot of, of teen ab- appeal just with the writing, the story, it's very linear, and you just feel just so mad at the world, you know, you want to take some action. So Zaytun by Dave Eggers, highly recommended. So now uh, we'll go quickly around and just tell a little bit about one more book, maybe what's on our nightstand right now. I just bought, I'm trying not to buy books, and my friends know that I don't <laughs> succeed, and one of the main reasons is books like this one. Um, this is a two-volume edition of the Wordless Novels uh, by Lind Ward, L-Y-N-D Ward. Um, and, and his stuff has been published before, but this beautiful new edition, which was just brought out by Library of America, and these are novels told entirely in these very just beautifully done, dark kind of expressionistic woodcuts. Not a word in them. They're completely pictorial novels. And what I love about this book and, and this edition is the reading experience of it. It's gorgeously done. Um, every page is just one picture, and you turn the page, and it's the next picture. And so it's sort of it, it feels like reading a book, but you kind of pause and really soak in that picture and get the full import of it and then turn, which I think makes it a really interesting thing for people who maybe are a little, have been a little resistant to graphic novels, I think one of the things that people who don't read graphic novels 
are, are a little maybe overwhelmed really by how much sort of there is on a page and how much content it just seems yeah it seems daunting whereas this is is really great and very kind of contemplative and and uh, they're great stories full of kind of Sturm and Drang and proletarian angst and stuff like that but uh, the library has purchased these and so have I um, it's a two-volume uh, library of America edition of the wordless novels of Lind Ward my pick is a book called Stuck Rubber Baby, um, which is great. It's also a graphic novel or, or a picture novel. And um, it's interesting because I actually bought it as well, only because it has been out of print for um, 15 years, or more than 15 years. Um, it was put out in 1995, and it just got republished by DC Vertigo, and the library does have copies of it now, which is great. Um, it's a great novel that just happens to be a graphic novel. It's about a guy named Tolan Polk, who's uh, moving out of his house, he's building his own family, learning about relationships, all that normal early 20-something stuff, but he's gay, and he's living in a small, small southern town in the middle of the civil rights movement. Um, so he's exposed to all kinds of great black culture at the same time he's being exposed to like his first gay bar, which a lot of those worlds overlap in this book. Um, the characters are really well fleshed out. It's eerily like an autobiography, but I got to the back and read that it's not an autobiography. Um, I think it's great for teens that are learning about the civil rights movement, a firsthand account of what it was like. Um, and I think in the midst of Dan Savage's It Gets Better videos, I think this is very timely. I think it's... Yeah. Great. I'm really glad it's republished. It's not my style of graphic novel as far as visuals are concerned. It's very kind of comic booky, almost superhero-y comic booky. Um, but the dialogue is amazing, and the characters are just so multidimensional. Even the very small characters have a lot, a lot going on. I'm in the middle of reading I'm Going to College, Not You, which is a collection of essays by... Uh, Parents who uh, are work in colleges, are admission counselors, or are writers. Uh, Anna Quinlan and Jane Hamilton both have essays in here, and it's basically to get parents to chill out and back <laughs> off as their children are are uh, applying to college. But it's also they're just really really lovely essays. The one by Anna Quinlan is about how unhappy she was her first semester of college and how if her parents had been like some of the helicopter parents we we all know today, if they had been so overly involved in her life, she probably would have dropped out of that school. But she stuck it out through her misery and it ended up being the basis of her her relationship with her husband, her career with the New York Times, and just where hmm. most of her friends are. So really nice, tight essays about college. Excellent. Well, thank you all for joining us uh, on our coffee break today and uh, talking with us about some books. Well, we talked. You didn't. But in any case, <laughs> thanks for joining us on Seattle Biblio Cafe. Bye-bye. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.